0: This is On The Fence Physio, a podcast designed to, one, stimulate intellectual conversation around the nuances of gray topics in physical therapy, two, keep a group of physical therapists and physical therapy students entertained for 30 to 40 minutes, and three, fail to do either of those things. If you are looking for legitimate medical advice, do not look here. Please seek out the opinion of a legitimate licensed medical provider. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to another Fence Post episode of On the Fence Physio. Shorter duration, but much higher stakes. I am your host, Andy Wiseman, physical therapist, and I am joined by my illustrious co-host, Matthew Owens. How are you doing tonight, Matt?
1: I'm doing very well, Andy. Excited to get into this research report from our September 2021 JOSPT.
0: The JOSPT. The (laughs) JOSPT. No one calls it that. I don't know why.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we don't have a good, I guess it's an initialism right now, J-O-S-P-T.
0: Initialism.
1: (laughs) I would love, I like acronyms better, but the initialism is okay. So, Andy, why don't you tell us a little bit about the article and why you wanted to talk about it today.
0: Sure. So the article we chose was chronic plantar heel pain is principally associated with with waist girth and pain factors, not foot factors. A case control study. Uh, This study was uh, put together by Jason Rogers, uh, Graham Jones, Jill L. Cook, Karen Wills, Aruba Laham, and I'm going to go with uh, Tania. Winsenberg I apologize uh, I was brought up in Indiana with very few difficult names to pronounce so all these are Australian researchers um, from University of Tasmania um, I picked it because the title immediately went against everything that I care about when looking at the foot when I'm doing a foot evaluation I look at the foot. <laughs> I mean, I I, I appreciate that it's attached to a patient, and that patient has a brain, and they have their own wants, desires from physical therapy, and they have their own uh, emotional baggage that comes in with them. But I definitely spend a fair amount of time assessing the foot. Um, Some of my favorite things to assess in foot pain— I obviously look at ankle range of motion, toe range of motion. Great place to start. Easy, low hanging fruit to try to change. Uh, get out the dynamometer, test out um, ankle strength, test out toe flexor strength. I even, you know, every once in a while get out a way to measure the navicular drop test, right? can be fun, you know, to take a look at that, see if there's things. But honestly, most of the time I'm just looking for market difference between sides if they have just one painful foot. And if they have two painful feet, then I kind of just measure the data to say, hey, what if we make all this a little bit better? Maybe your pain will be a little bit better. Because so, so, not a lot of this is normalized. We don't, you know, we get a text. We're told like a textbook norm. For like ankle dorsiflexion when we're in PT school and we're told that maybe runners need a little bit more of it. But I believe there was somebody I know that worked with the Indianapolis Pacers that said that maybe uh, certain athletes don't need that much uh, dorsiflexion. Do you have any thoughts on Mm -hmm. that?
1: Matt? Yeah, so some interesting (laughs) research at the University of Dayton with a focus on professional athletes and trying to find what just normative values are for NBA basketball players found that your average NBA basketball player has um, less than 10 degrees of dorsiflexion, most of the time, just barely more than zero degrees of dorsiflexion in the ankle. And the thought being, okay, do we is this something that should change? We don't even know. We just know that's the normal value. And is it something that could actually be a athletic advantage when playing a sport that requires a quick spring and power mechanism from the gastro Achilles complex. And it's something that right now the answer is we don't know, but we do know Mm -hmm. that what's normal or considered quote unquote normal from our textbooks in PT school is not what is normal for your average NBA
0: player. Right, so if I get an NBA player that has plantar heel pain, I shouldn't just automatically assume that stretching out their calf is going to get me less heel pain. Exactly. Darn it, taking away my things. All right, well, good Good thing that we don't even need to look at the foot because this article says that we need to look at their waist girth. We just get out our uh, tape measure, measure around the waist, and say, yeah, sorry, ma'am, sir, they, then, there, you're looking a little tubby, and, And uh, that's what's causing your foot pain.
1: (laughs) So one of the things that the article wanted to look at is this association between BMI and heel pain. And their hypothesis or what they wanted to look at um, was that they felt like BMI alone misses important components of adiposity-related risk provided by other measures such as waist girth or central adiposity or body composition testing, which have not been evaluated in plantar heel pain.
0: Right. So it's it's funny that you bring up that those are the things they talked about in their introduction is, hey, these are the things we want to look at. Right, That's what they talked about in the introduction. And when we look at their methods and their results of what happened, the waist girth was one of the uh, variables that came back with a p-value of less than 0.05, so it was significant. They don't talk a lot about in their introduction about all the other variables they looked at too because, boy, did they measure a lot here. So they were looking at height, They were looking at body composition. They were looking at ankle dorsiflexion range of motion. They were looking at physical activity. They were looking at some questionnaires about uh, time spent standing, age, sex, menopausal status, level of education, employment, smoking history, presence of morning stiffness, comorbidities such as diabetes or rheumatological diseases. Pain sites were recorded on a body chart with multi-site pain was the sum of body sites by region other than the heel that pain or discomfort was reported. (laughs) <laughs> wow, that's a lot of things to assess. And um, we, can, uh, we can talk a lot. We can talk about that first. Um, when you throw a lot of – when you dip into a data set enough times with enough variables, your chance of coming back with something that is statistically significant just continues to increase the more often you do that. A p-value of, point, of less than 0.05 kind of means it's a less than 1 in 20 chance That your data is, uh, you know, is actually, you know, like not significant. It's just a random noise, right? So if you dip in that same same set twenty times, I mean, it's not a hundred percent chance. There's a chance now, and a much higher chance that that is just statistical noise. So. Um, XKCD, the web comic strip has made fun of this, um, phenomenon where they showed, you know, like, Hey, uh, jelly beans cause acne. And then the scientists do the thing and they say, Nope, jelly beans don't cause acne P of greater than 0.05. They're like, ah, I heard it's a specific color. And then they test 20 different colors and one color comes back with a P value of less than 0.05. And they're like, ah, green jelly beans cause acne. Obviously, you know, like little tongue in cheek, not a thing. um, Journalists have even gotten in on making fun of this phenomenon. So, um, the uh, journalist John Bohannon, who is a biologist and science journalist at Harvard, uh, did the chocolate bar study. And a lot of people have heard about this one, but he, uh, for those who haven't, he did uh, a study where he had a people do a low carb diet, and then a study where, and then the other group did a low carb diet with a chocolate bar and then a control group and he looked at like 20 different variables and the one that kind of popped positive for him was that weight loss in the first week was better so then he published a journal article that was titled like hey adding a chocolate bar to your low carb diet increases your weight loss and news medias went crazy with it because people want to eat chocolate for their diet and it was all a hoax it was all to show and this phenomenon and in, in this phenomenon describing Matt. do we have a term for that? Do Something we? I'm just hacking away here. Uh,
1: what do you, I don't know what it is? What is it?
0: This is p hacking.
1: Oh, this is what mm, this is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes,
0: hacking if of you, the p. If, 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 if you if you uh, you know chop your data set up the right way, if you dip into it enough times, you're bound to find a p value that suits your needs, and then you can. Post, you can uh, harp, which is hypothesis after the results are known. So you can go back and write your intro thing all about how you know central adiposity—that's the thing. You know, after you've already done the study, you've already done the results. You know, after you already know where the study's going to go. Um, that's especially easy to do when you don't have a pre-trial registration. Yes, because you didn't call your shot ahead of time. And what are we missing from this article? Hmm. Looking through
1: here. Free trial registration.
0: Oh no. They forgot that step. Hmm. Interesting. That's interesting.
1: So what would you do to make this study better, Andy? Because what we have from it is a big buckshot worth of Things that we're looking at for foot pain. We have a cross-sectional mm. data collection, and we're told four things that may contribute to heel pain um, that are outside no, of... Cor-
0: correlate. The, co- the cor- article yes. make them say that they yeah. contribute, right? That yeah. this, and they try to hypothesize that yeah. the you know metabolic processes of central adiposity would be. Um, Relevant to this in metabolic disease, including diabetes, metabolic syndrome, dyslipidemia, disease processes known to pathologically target tendon and fascia, right? They try to take that leap, that next leap into logic saying like, oh, yeah, definitely this is contributing. Well, we don't know that. We just – we have a splice of data that says that, hey, people that have been having heel pain for greater than three months are also – you because know, that was the inclusion criteria. So we don't have anybody who doesn't have plantar heel pain for three months. We have some healthy controls, but that's a half the group size. And, you know, they're more likely to be a little bit larger around the waist. Who says that, you know, that that's an actual variable that has any kind of contribution? Maybe it's a, it's a symptom. we flipped it around now. You get plantar heel pain for three months, you're more likely to be fat.
1: Yeah. And it's something that so the do study doesn't. Yeah. How do we improve it and how do we... Explore these other factors that may contribute to heel pain outside of the foot.
0: I, I got a super simple way you can make this one study better and it's very low cost. Do it again. If you do it again, you do it the exact same thing over again, you say, Hey, we're gonna prove that this is a real thing by doing it. a whole nother data collection, another two years of data collection, get another sample size about the same, same population, and you show that it's the same, you know, like outcome but Girth, waste girth is significant, the other things are not. Great. You've just replicated your study, and that goes a long way to showing that this is likely a true effect and not just some random noise, statistical noise, right? Replicate a third time, right? Get some undergrads in on this, get them off their thesis papers, let's let's get them going, right? Just run the study back again. That would be one way to improve the quality. You'd be increasing your sample size, increasing the effect size, and you'd be you know, just showing better all quality, you know, more like, you know, just better likelihood really. So, and then the other way is you could just narrow down your focus now, right? you could just say like, Hey, we're going to run it back again, but we're only going to take waist girth and we're going to take a broader, you know, maybe look at a broader population, maybe people who haven't had heel pain for three months and just, and just look at heel pain three months and waist girth and see what kind of association there is with that because if you're really believing that there is a mechanism here right if that if that's their next hypothesis there's some mechanism around central adiposity that contributes to heel pain then there should be some kind of dose response relationship it should be if you have more waist girth you either have you're more likely to have heel pain or you're more likely to have heel pain that lasts longer or you're more likely to have more intense heel pain something there should be some kind of relationship it shouldn't just be like a Hey, if you have waist girth, you have heel pain, you know, like there should be some kind of relationship between the two that changes when you turn up one variable or turn down the other one. So look at it again and look at it from a much more narrowed perspective, not this kind of shotgun approach, which is good for exploration. If you want trying to find, you know, you're trying to ask a novel question, but this wasn't really a novel question. This is a question that has been asked before, you know. So I don't know what they're trying to contribute to the literature with taking such a broad approach over something that has been looked at, like what causes heel pain.
1: Yeah, if they were trying to find other variables that jump out or – and that's kind of I think where they were going with this. Central adiposity saying that that hasn't been looked at specifically versus BMI. Um, I do appreciate the caution at the very end of the article saying that this case-controlled nature of the study does not allow us to draw conclusions on whether waist girth, pain catastrophizing, and multi-site pain cause chronic heel pain.
0: Yeah, they do put that there, so we have gotta give credit where credits due. They put it there. They even bolded the uh, bit that says caution. But man, that is on the that is the line. you gotta read right to the very end. Yeah.
1: And that's <laughs> I kind of wish that obviously it's not as um, eye catching, but if that was the title of the article, what do you think if the, mm-hmm. if the title was? Case control study that does not allow us to draw conclusions on Weathergate. <laughs> Waste, growth, pain, <laughs> catastrophize, <laughs> no, malty-sight no, pain, <laughs> pain, You're like, oh, no, we've uh, seen it before. We don't have, know. Yeah.
0: Have, you, have you seen the movie Doctor Strange? I have. They should really put the things at the beginning. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's how I felt with this article getting to the end. It's like, okay, so we're kind of coming around to this idea that we can't draw conclusions from it. These are all things that may or may not be happening. Here are some hypotheses go along with it. But the title is a lot sexier than that. Yeah. Not I was really,
0: really. Yeah. I, so when I saw the title, it really got me on my toes. But by the end of it, I was caught flat-footed.
1: Very good. Very good, Andy. Well, with Halloween coming up, I dressed as an animal today in our clinic for Safari Day. Mm. Um, I was a cheetah, and so a patient asked me a good dad joke, which I, I felt like you would appreciate with your your foot joke. And as as to why you never never play poker um, on a safari.
0: Someone's going to cheetah.
1: There's too many cheetahs. That's right. That was one. That's one. That's a good one. So uh, that's, your, that's your dad joke for today. Any other thoughts on this article?
0: No, I think uh, this article will now become one of my uh, arch nemesis. And I will <laughs> use it as a, another example for students to read and then draw their conclusions from because this is published in a very reputable journal. I love um, the JASPT and uh, use it to, uh, you know, wipe off my car when it snows and uh, sometimes I read it, right, for if I have nothing else better to do. And uh, sometimes some great things are published in here that really, uh, you know, spark some interesting conversation. And then sometimes there's some things in here that I'm just like, hey, you know, like research methodology must be really, really tough because it is sometimes hard to get you know everybody on the same page working towards you know goals that are going to really further our understanding of uh, rehab and all the things around physical therapy. So I just feel like there was so much potential here you know I love treating foot pain and I want to learn more but I really didn't I didn't I didn't get all that much from this and I was really coming in here hoping to get my biases challenged because I love. Looking at the foot and looking at variables around the foot, and if somebody tells me, "Hey, stop doing that," like it really would change my practice. Yeah, I'm ready to let go of it because feet are kind.
1: Of- <laughs> They're kind of good. I'd much rather say, "Like, hey, we're not treating your feet. You're just gonna uh, move your Wait, your girth right, from your feet. waist <laughs> to your calf muscles, and we'll be good to go."